Well, I'm so, so excited tonight and this weekend that we have Cole Ragsdale with us who's going to be sharing. And if you know Cole, some of you know Cole, many of you do. And if you don't, Cole is our CT College pastor. He leads our CT College ministry. And he is uh, actually a product of our Pastor Dongo School of Ministry, our internship. He was part of our very first class. He was part of that class, and he came out of that and started leading our college ministry that is doing incredible, is reaching UNT and TWU, the 60,000-plus college students that are within a five-mile radius of this place, this campus. He's doing a great job leading the charge of that. And Cole's also a part of our teaching team that I'm on and many of our young teachers are on that are getting poured into from people above us who are leading us and guiding us in that. And so, man, I'm so excited for Cole to come and teach us this weekend. Can we give a hand to Cole as we welcome him? Thanks, Ross. Hey. Hey, Cross Timbers, it is good to be with you. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, uh, my name's Cole, and I am honored that I get to be here with you guys tonight. Well, if you have done any traveling internationally or have been to one of our urban cities across the United States, you know that the counterfeit business or fake goods is one that is booming across the United States. There's actually um, some statistics that go along with that. The global brand counterfeiting report that came out just this past year said that the counterfeiting business profited $1.2 trillion in 2017 and is expected to grow within this next year. At the top of that list would be um, merchandise, but maybe you yourself have actually seen um, some of this as you've, you've been around. So have any of you had a, ever tried to rock your pair of Adidas? Have you seen those? Um, or maybe you have written a note with your Scurpy. It's my personal favorite. Um, or maybe for the morning breakfast, you wanted a cocoa peanut butter spheres. Reese puffs are so much better. Um, or they maybe have some butter your toast with, wow, I totally thought it was butter. So we see these, these products are all around the country, and they're funny, and they're silly. Um, but something that's a tad bit more sombering is that because of the lucrative nature of the counterfeit business, that it's begun to make its way into more serious things like pharmaceuticals or fake drugs. UNICEF reported that over one million people die each year from malaria. 70% of those are children under the age of six. Malaria, a curable disease, medicine that can cure that. But because of fake drugs, fake pharmaceuticals, children and a million people a year are taking fake drugs thinking it's going to give them life and it's going to make them well. But they're dying anyways because they're taking something that is promising them life but is under-delivering. So why do I start there tonight? Why do I start talking about something silly and something sombering? Is that you and I both know that counterfeits are dangerous and could even be Deadly. I mean, let's think about this. There's no way that you or I am going to get on a roller coaster that has faulty equipment, right? Or fly in an airplane with something that's made out of counterfeit goods. There's no way we would do it. There's no way that we would trust our lives to something knowing that it's not the real thing. But while we know this, whenever we as a church gather around God's words and we talk about the ideas of idolatry, or idols, or counterfeit gods. Each and every one of us kind of don't really bat an eye, 
don't really think twice about it because we read passages about idolatry and we think, man, that's a then and there issue. That's something that took place a long time ago. I don't have a golden Buddha in my room. Like, like well, idolatry has nothing to do with me. But as I began to wrestle with this text, I began to realize that this is not a then and there, a he and she, a they and them issue, but this is an I, me, and my issue. That if you and I are not careful, if you and I do not take notice, that we too will trust our families, trust our finances, and trust our hearts to a counterfeit. Something that will overpromise and underdeliver. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be camped out in Exodus 32 tonight. And then we'll jump over to 1 Corinthians 10. So Exodus 32, if you've been tracking with us as a church over the past um, year, we've been making a journey through the book of Exodus. We've been following the Israelites as, they, as God in his mercy and in his compassion has rescued them from the, slave, from the slavery and the bondage of Pharaoh and is leading them to the promised land. At this point in the story, Moses, the leader of the Israelites, is on top of the mountain talking to, talking to God. Throughout the scriptures, God has a way of meeting with his people on mountains. It's why I love the North Georgia mountains so much. It's just you feel close to God there. And we see that the people are waiting on Moses to come back. And I'm going to pick up in Exodus 32, starting in verse 1, if you would like to follow along with me. And this is God's word for you today. Starting in verse 1, God's word says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered them, Take off golden ear the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron he took what was handed to him and made into it a, an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are our gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, when Aaron saw this he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Verse 6. So the next day the people arose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to drink and got up to indulge. Everyone say indulge. Indulge and no revelry. And so we read this text and we see that, that the nation of Israel is waiting on Moses to come back down. And they're like, man, like, you know, we're, we're kind of bored. Like, God, like, would you make us an idol? Would you make us this golden calf? And, and I first read that and I'm just like, man, like, God, like, what are we talking about here? A golden calf? Like, there has never been a point in my life where I'm, like, hanging out with boys, like, man, last night got crazy. You guys remember worshiping that, worshiping that golden calf? That was crazy. Like, that's, like, not our story. That's not our experience. But what we see here and what we're going to find out tonight is that this has a lot to do with you and I. I don't need, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to see that, that this is a you and I issue. This is not a they and them, a, a here and there. This is a right now, right here issue. And verse six of God's word says this. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts 
on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge. Everyone say indulge. Indulge in revelry. We see here in 1 Corinthians that Paul is pointing us right back to Exodus 32. I mean, he's giving us a, a direct quotation of Exodus 32 saying, hey, hey, followers of Jesus, church in Corinth, Cross Timbers Community Church 2018, listen, I want, I want you to know that Exodus 32 was written to you as a warning, a warning for you not to set your hearts on evil things, for you not to crave, to long for counterfeits. And here's why Paul is saying this, is that he knows that when you and I give our affection, give our attention to anything other than the Most High God, anyone other than Jesus Christ, it can be deadly. That it can kill us. He is warning us in this text that you and I have one claim under heaven and it's the person of Jesus Christ. That his life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that we can cling to. That without it, we, our ship is sunk. Without it, sin gets the final word. Without it, your past is final. And so Paul is imploring the church and he's imploring us tonight, do not set your heart on anything other than Jesus Christ. And so tonight, I want to walk through Exodus 32, and I want to give us three warning signs, three ways to ensure that you and I do not set our hearts on evil things, but rather set our hearts on Jesus Christ. Because if you and I choose to settle for counterfeit goods, we will always be disappointed. Because counterfeits, they always overpromise, and then they always underdeliver. So if you want to open back up with me to Exodus 32, um, we're going to break this down verse by verse, and we're going to see how God's word is going to help us come alive to set our heart on the only thing that we can trust. Let me flip back there. Exodus 32, when the people saw, everyone say saw, saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. You notice that they're at this place in which they have seen the miracles of God. They, up to this point, they have seen God's power. He's parted the Red Sea. He's defeated their enemies. God has been good to the Israelites. And so why is it in this moment that they instantly seem to flip a switch and begin to say, give us other gods? Did you see what the text said? When they saw that he was slow coming down. First thing that can help protect us from giving our lives to counterfeits is that we see that their attention shifted. That the Israelites have been a people in love with the Most High God, but in this moment their, their attention has shifted from the beauty of God's glory to their temporary circumstance. They were in a time of waiting, a time of uncertainty. Have you ever found yourself in a time of waiting? or in a time of uncertainty. Maybe tonight you are waiting for that next thing. Or maybe it's uncertain or what, what your job status is gonna be, or whether or not you guys can have kids. And it's in this time of waiting, this time of uncertainty, that the Israelites focus 
shifts from the eternality of God to their temporary situation. Do you know that your focus will determine your future? That what you focus on, what your attention is set to, will determine your future. See, the Israelites in this moment, maybe they're just thinking, okay, you know, maybe Moses is being a long time. Like, their mind begins to roll. And the time that the enemy begins to attack, believing lies, maybe God isn't good. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God's not going to show up for me. He shows up for everyone else, but maybe he's not going to show up for me. And as their attention shifts, their heart and their hands quickly follow. I mean, have you ever thought about this when you're driving down the road? And there may be an accident on the side. We're all the worst about this. Or maybe there's something that catches your eye and you, your eyes lock onto it. You're focused. And then all of a sudden that car begins to drift with it. Our focus will always determine our future. It's where we're going. It's where we're headed. And so maybe the question for you tonight is, what are you focusing on? What is forming you? Are you spending more time being, being inundated by what your Facebook feed says or by God's word? Are you, more, um, are you more influenced by CNN and Fox News than your community of believers, your relationships that matter? Are you more caught up in what your friends say is important about what culture says, what you should be doing or what you should be saying? Or is what the word of God says your guide? Your focus will determine your future. The Israelites' focus shifted, their attention shifted, and their hearts and their hands quickly followed. Let's keep going in the text. Right after they saw that Moses was long and coming down, he said, they, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come make us gods who will come before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened for him. Isn't it interesting, track with me here, that after their focus has shifted, their next move is give us somebody to worship. Give us another God. Give us someone else who will go before us. That their affections were stirred. Their affections were stirred. That it had shifted from the holy God to something temporary, something that they could form with their own hands. And the same thing is true for you and I tonight, maybe not with a physical golden idol, but you and I were made to love. You and I were made to worship. You and I were made to give our affections, to pour ourselves out onto someone or something. But the question is, 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 is the object of our affection, is the object of our care, worth it? Is it worth giving our lives to? We see that their affections were stirred. See, I read texts like this, and I even read in other parts of the Bible of, you know, like idolatry. Like, like, why, like why are you drawn to a golden calf? Like, that, just, that doesn't seem to, to do a lot for me. And, and here's, here's what I think is going on here in this text specifically, is that the Israelites make a calf specifically. So back in the olden days, um, back in Bible times, you would have this, this, this structure, this calf, this, this God, this connection to spirituality 
and you would sacrifice to it in order to secure two things, to be able to secure wealth and health for your family. It was a way that you would sacrifice to them. You would, you would you'd give to it, and then you would be almost like you were promising yourself wealth and health for your family. And then the, the second thing is, is that the calf or the bull was a very popular idol back in the day. This was, this was something like all the other um, nations have it. Like this is kind of like, you have your God, I have my, well, we have the same God, that's so cool. Like we're connected. Like there's this like social ingredient to it as well. And then thirdly is that we see that this God will allow them to do whatever they want. That we saw at the end in verse six, we'll get there in a second, that they sang and they danced and they indulged in revelry, which there's a lot of things that word can mean in Hebrew and not the most godly of things. So we see that there's this quest for security, this quest for power, this quest for social status, and this quest of getting to do whatever you wanted. And all of a sudden, as I thought through that, kind of sounds like me. That kind of sounds like us. This longing and this desire for, for wealth and for health and for control and for power. This desire in me to, to be popular and to have the social status and to have the friends and to, to have the ability to do what I want. That I would have a God who would say, hey, hey, like, that's okay. Like, you do your thing, I'll do mine. Like, we're all fun and dandy. They have given themselves to a God that will not keep them accountable. They've given themselves to a God who's made in their own image. And if you and I are not careful, once again, once our attention has shifted, our affections will be stirred. And so the question would be, are our affections stirred for the true God, the one who created the heavens and the earth and sent Jesus Christ to us, or are our affections being stirred for an idea of a God who looks a lot more like us than than he actually is? Is the God that you're worshiping, the God that you think about, the same God that you read about in this book? So what is your idol? One diagnostic question I would ask that may help you with that is where do your unguarded thoughts go? That when you sit there and you have some time and there's not a thousand things hitting at you, where does your mind go? Where do you drift to in your daydreams? Are they the things of God? Or are they the things of a counterfeit? Something that is promising you life but is yet to deliver. Like maybe it's that promotion at work that if I can just get this promotion, then I will be okay. If I can just have this next step up, and I can't believe they're about to give this job to this other joker. Like that's not fair. Or it's that one thing that if God took it away from you, you would not be okay. That if he took it away, that you would crumble and you would be angry and you would be mad. Or maybe it's that thing that that you just so desperately desire that you have decided that God's not good because you can't have it. Your affections have been stirred and we're drawn to the thing that is promising so much but will never deliver. 
Do you realize that you'll never have enough money? You'll never have enough friends? You'll never have the perfect job? That we're always, we're always in this period of waiting, right? Like the best life is just right around the corner. And then the moment that you get it, got to make a little bit more. Got to have some more friends. Counterfeit gods always overpromise and always underdeliver. And Paul is telling us, God's word is telling us, I'm warning you, please, please, please set your affections onto the only one who is the real God, not the counterfeit God. The third thing that I think that we can see here that can keep, help keep us from giving our lives to counterfeits, to things that won't satisfy, things that won't provide, is we see that the Israelites, their actions, they were solidified. That after their attention had been shifted, their affections had been stirred, and then it led to their actions. That they gathered around this golden calf, which just seems so laughable, and they worshiped, and they sacrificed, and they craved this idol for what it could potentially give them. Can I tell you how horrifying this is? That, that when God is on the mountain with Moses, he is solidifying their relationship with, together as the God's people of what we're going to do. And you know what God set up for God, the people? Festivals, sacrifice, and rituals. That the very thing that God was setting up as a merciful and compassionate God with the Israelites, they are using to give themselves away to another religion, to a false God. To put it in modern day context, let's think about it this way. We've got a, a, a newly engaged couple. And so when they're in this process of moving in together um, and, and buying their first apartment, and so they're, you know, they're setting up the apartments like, Here's our couch and, and kind of setting up, you know, I've got our awesome like little, little lamp stand here on the side and then, and then like the bedroom and like, ah, oh, like here's our bed, like engaged couple, woo! And, and, you, and, and then you begin to like, you know, if the wedding's a week away, like let, let me buy some candles and let me like get like a little mix CD, like to like set, set the ambiance, the mood, like maybe a little bit of roses. I mean, the scene's pretty sweet, right? And then the day before the wedding, he comes back into the apartment, and he smells the candle, and he hears the music, and he walks into the bedroom, and there she is, but she's with somebody else. Giving yourself away to someone else, I mean, that's, okay, that's one thing, but to do it here, in this way, with our stuff? Hear me, I want you to hear this. Sin is not just breaking God's law. Sin is breaking God's heart. That when you and I give ourselves away to something that can't give, our life, can't give us life back, yes, we are breaking God's law, but God gave us his law because it's his heart, because he loves us, because he cares for us. And every time that you and I, and I am so guilty, that was guilty of it this morning, that we give ourselves to a counterfeit, that we choose to trust something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, we're breaking God's heart. 
He is a faithful lover who wants us and who is willing to do whatever it takes to have us. We see that their actions were solidified. And so for you and I, hear this, that Christianity is not a behave, behave, behave religion. It is a behold, behold, behold religion. Let me set my attention on Jesus Christ so that my affections would be stirred for Jesus Christ in order that my action may be solidified for Jesus Christ. That we do not operate out of duty, we operate out of love. That so many times we get this backwards. We start with action and we leave attention and affection at the side and that's called religion and that's why we all get so tired of it. If I was to stand up here every single week or Toby was to stand up here every week and say, hey, you need to do this, do this, do this, do this, you would get tired because you've missed the beauty of attention. Oh my gosh, God is so beautiful. Christ died for me. He he sees me in my sin and he cares for me. That begins to stir my affections. God, you are good. Thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are. As my affections are stirred, man, my action is solidified. That serving here, having relationships that matter, being on a serve team with Michelle Cole or with any of our connections team, that's easy because my attention has been set, my affections have been stirred, and my actions will be solidified. Are you following Jesus tonight out of obligation or out of adoration? Because obligation is boring, hard, and exhausting, and adoration is fun, exhilarating. Following Jesus is the best adventure you've ever had. If the gospel is boring, you ain't listening to the same gospel I am. If God is not fun, then you ain't talking to the same God I am. If Jesus is condemning, rude, and mean, then we ain't talking about the same Jesus. Half the time the people I talk to are like, I don't like Jesus. I'm like, I don't like that Jesus either. When our attention is set, our affections are stirred, our action is solidified. Because hear me, this Jesus Christ that I'm talking about tonight, this is crazy. He always promises and he always delivers. There is no over-promising and under-delivering with Jesus Christ. He always comes through. The promises of this book will always be fulfilled. He is not interested in selling you a better life and then giving you garbage. He's not going to say, hey, have a semester away at sea. Get out, enjoy the cruise, and then you end up just playing with mud puddles on the side of the road. God is going to give you best because it's what he has promised. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come back up, and I'll close with, with this tonight. is I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way and that he is the real God who promises and he is the real God who delivers. And the reason that I say that tonight and I feel that tonight is that on June 25th, about three and a half months ago, I got a phone call from my mom telling me that um, my dad had been in a car accident and that he didn't make it. And so I remember flying back on that Southwest flight, my attention everywhere. My affections, not really having any of them. Actions, not knowing what to do with my hands. And can I tell you this, that over the past three and a half months, 
I have seen every single one of my counterfeit gods that had promised me so much underdeliver. That my quest for popularity and fame underdeliver. My desire for wealth and security underdeliver. My longing for success and prominence underdeliver. Relationships that make me feel secure and healthy underdeliver. There has only been one that has delivered. And his name is Jesus Christ. That we do not mourn like those who do not have hope. That we mourn as those who have hope. That the past three months have been a whirlwind for me and my family. But the one thing that has stood, the one God that has remained faithful, who has stayed consistent to his promises has been Yahweh God, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ has stood the test. And so my hope for us tonight, my hope for you tonight, my hope for us as a church, is that you and I would be followers of Jesus who would set our attention on him. We would have our affections stirred by him and that our actions would be solidified for him. Because if you and I will choose to stop settling for counterfeit goods that overpromise and underdeliver, our lives will be set free and our cities will look different. Because a group of people who live out of adoration for Jesus Christ and not out of obligation for Jesus Christ change the world. People who behold the Son of God and not just try to behave like the Son of God make a difference in their workplaces. And, and so I hope, this is something I'm committing myself to for this next year, of it, that I want to be someone who is setting my attention onto Jesus Christ. How do I do that? I read my Bible. On our website, there's actually a reading plan for our entire church to walk through, a part of this process of how do we follow Jesus? If you're looking for a practical way for you to set your attention in order that your affections may be stirred, that your actions may be solidified, it's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Counterfeit goods are deadly. But Jesus Christ, he's the way to life. Can I pray for you? Father, you are God. Thank you that you do not leave us in our sin. You do not leave us far from you. But God, you come close and you come near. And God, that even when we give ourselves away to counterfeit gods, that you run to us. So Father, may we be a people who set our attention on you, whose affections are stirred by you, and whose actions are solidified by you. We pray these things tonight, our God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.